Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a podcast of Building 28 Church, where we address the fantasies and fallacies of modern Christianity with courage, conviction, and compassion. I'm your host, Peter Tragos, and with me, as always, is the pastor of Building 28 Church, Aaron Curran. Wait, was that memorized? That was because was I just listened to it. Some good memory. Yeah, there. and that's a short-term memory going on Boom. there. And uh, Peter's wearing the fly pants today. That's why I'm so, here, guys. Yeah. So if you're not watching, uh, you might want to tune into YouTube at some point and see this. But uh, all right. Man, I'm tired today. I can't taste anything. Can't smell anything. Yeah, so, uh, great. Kidding. Joking. Good one. Uh, back, on, back on the <laughs> podcast. It's too close. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Back on the podcast, we have Adam Powers. Um, this is the day after Hurricane Ada. We should have nicknames for the recurring guests, like Boogie Cousins and... Guest on over here. Bilbo. Bilbo. Bilbo's here. Self-proclaimed Bilbo. Is, Self-proclaimed. Yeah. is that okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. The pastor of Sunrise Community Church up in Newport Ritchie. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you driving down today, man. It's to, good to be with you guys again. To hang out. Yeah. It's going to be fun. And then, of course, back, the professor. I think I called you the professor last time, but Rick is, Rick is the professor. I always say sure. that Rick is the most... And I know you have a lot of lay elders in your church, so you might be able to dispute this, but Rick is the most theological lay elder I have ever... And that's no indictment against our elders, but he just, he knows a lot. That's a gift. That's a lot, man. <laughs> that's a, a gift. gift. So I, I like having sure. him on the episode. I like hanging out with him. We're going to golf together tomorrow in a tournament. So, uh, but for today, we'll hit the ground running. Today, speaking of Rick, we are talking about demonic activity. Oh, we're doing Wait, what does that first. have to do with Rick? <laughs> yeah, no, that's Speaking so of Rick. That was the joke. That was the joke. Wait, I, I missed that one. Yeah, wait, hold on. Are we not starting with that one? Is that yeah, one? we are okay. starting with that right, one. No, I didn't Rick, know the Rick order. Sorry, my bad. Okay. We're slow moving today. I got a so little. We, so that we got that out of the way. All right. So today we're talking about demonic activity. And the reason we're going to talk about it is a lot of people have seen movies like The Exorcism or have seen some kind of Hollywood depiction. Exorcist. Exorcist. <laughs> the Exorcism of Emily Rose or oh, whatever is, is another too, yeah. movie, yep. whatever it may be. Yeah. Of that kind of demonic activity, a lot of people think it's fake. A lot of people think it's real. We're going to talk today about what the Bible says and what our experiences have been with demonic activity. And Aaron, why don't you talk about why this is something that you thought was important to talk about in today's culture? So I don't know how it's been for you, Adam. Or even with you guys in lay ministry, but it's one of those. I don't know if I've gotten a ton of questions about. I mean, there's been questions over the years, but I don't know if there's. If I were to say, "Hey, demonic activity lands in the top ten of all the questions I've gotten," but I would say it's definitely something that Christians are curious about. They're very, very curious about, and mm-hmm. when it does surface, and when it does come up, and people begin to recount, "Hey, I was I was asleep, and I woke up, and I felt this presence in the room around me," or my father-in-law had this this magical, mythical, demonic encounter, whatever it is. Um, there's a lot of skepticism, but mixed with that skepticism, especially I would say in reform circles, uh, kind of more scholastic circles, there's a lot of skepticism because we're very driven by logic. <laughs> but mixed with that skepticism, there's curiosity still. It's, you know, because we know that we know that we have a supernatural faith, that it's not just all logical, it's not just all natural. We're not naturalists. And so because we believe in the triune God who is a supernatural being, 
um, and because we believe in the Bible, which is a, a book gifted us that's supernatural in origin, uh, and the Bible does talk about angelic activity and demonic activity, and seems to, and we can get into this, seems to, to offer no hint that that ceased, uh, whether or not the gifts ceased, like we can talk about that as well if we want we to. We should. Um, but, but as far as demonic activity, angelic activity, it seems like that continues on past the apostolic era. And so to what extent, what does that look like? People just have a lot of questions about that. And either I think what's happening in Christianity, and you guys can correct me if you see something different, but either demonic activity specifically is being put on blast, uh, especially in the more, uh, not to out anybody, but the more maybe charismatic Pentecostal assembly circles. I mean, it is like demon behind every bush, um, mm. demons responsible for everything. We can almost offload uh, the blame of our sin on the devil made me do it. Sure. Or in, in the more, I think, Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Reformed circles, whatever it is, it's just never talked about. It's almost like, uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw that movie. Um, the Usual Suspects, mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey. Great one. But, uh, but in that Kaiser movie. Kaiser Yeah, yeah. I think, I think he says, I think it was, it was Spacey in that movie, but somebody says anyway, um, the greatest trick the devil ever ever played played is convincing the world he doesn't exist. Yes, very. And very I think nice. that's happened in the church, like where we have become anti-supernaturalist in our kind of brand or branch of Christianity. And so I think it's important to acknowledge we have a supernatural faith. The Bible does talk about these things. And to what extent are they active in the world today, in the church day, in our lives today? Uh, and what do they look like? So before we get into what it looks like or what we all think it looks like, Adam or Rick, do you guys agree that there is angelic and demonic activity in the world, in our world, on earth? Do you think that that still happens today? I do think there's a spiritual element that does right. take place on both sides, both the angelic side and on the satanic side. However, I would err on the side as far as like possessions go, like where you saw that in in time, mostly after like Pentecost even kind of deal where, where they were casting out demons. Mm-hmm. That had a specific purpose, I believe, that if there are demonic possessions in that way, that it would probably be happening potentially almost like with the charismatic gifts, probably in maybe third world countries where missionaries were out there. Because I believe it was used, the casting out was to attest to the prophet at the time, oftentimes Christ or one of the apostles, as being, it was laying down the foundation for the apostolic church at that time. And if you look even in scripture, you don't see demon possessions going back through scripture. I mean, it was a really narrow period of time when that was taking place, like even historically in scripture anyway. So I do believe there's, we can talk about how much, but I do believe there's demonic activity, not so much in the sense of probably demonic possessions. And my overall theme is going to be, it's not something Christians should really worry about because our sinful nature gives us enough problems to deal with. <laughs> There'll be have. some discussion on that. I'm we can sure. talk but, about that later. But Adam, so first, I just want to get just generally speaking. Do you think? Adam it's... looks like he's judging Rick right yeah. now, man, for his uh, for his response. <laughs> <Disagreed. laughs> All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. No, no, I, 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 I think it'd be foolish for myself or for any Christian to deny the reality of the spiritual realm. Right. Um, angels, demons, what have you. My position on it is different than Rick's. I would say. I was only referring to possessions, by yeah. the way. Yeah, well, hold Demonic. on. We'll get, we'll get specifically yeah. into Different it. but yeah. similar in some ways, but that the majority of what we see coming out of Hollywood, whether it's the original Exorcist movie or a more recent one like the Emily Rose movie, is that the majority of the demonic activity 
that is presented out of Hollywood or Atlanta now, since that's like the Hollywood of the East, is over-embellished and not biblical. And I think when you look at the New Testament and you look at church history, regardless, this is where I would differ from you, Rick, where you are in the world, whether third world or first world culture, I think the majority of spiritual activity and attack looks more natural than it does extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yep. If I you would agree. If so you like will. your head's not spinning doing 360s and no. you're not flying. And, How would you know? No. I mean, what would be your basis for saying like, okay, that, that was, represents that was, a demonic okay, versus so, the person just being crazy or just being sinful or what, what would make it Actually, I would like to hear from Adam on Unique this. on that. <laughs> like your, your take, like how you would know. Yeah, well, I, I guess I could ask you the same question going back. Um, I don't want to be the one to be so skeptical that when I hear of something, I immediately deny it. That's probably me. Um, I, I, to, be, to be honest, I'm leaning there. Uh, that's, that's just my bent and temperament. But I do want to be the one to examine what's actually going on mm. and... From what I see in scripture, you do see possession in the gospels. You see it in the book of Acts. It's not so much talked about after that. Or before it. Right. So I'm game to keep it in the apostolic age where the scriptures keep it. And then experientially, having been in third world countries and spent a whole summer in Africa in the bush, never seen any of it myself firsthand. And I think in 20 years of ministry experience, there's only probably been one encounter I've had where I... What are we disagreeing on? It sounds like you're agreeing. It's... So this is... This is <laughs> yeah. confusing. We're well, disagreeing. Hold on, hold on. Let him, let him answer <laughs> no, where no, they're I, disagreeing I just, I know what I, I just I want agree. to make sure because if there's listeners... There, there are listeners. There are. <laughs> one or two. What I mean is, there are. and, and there are. I could have per- portrayed myself incorrectly if he's... If Adam's disagreeing. No, no, no. I, I, I want to hear what he, yeah. what he disagrees with what just because, the, just for... Learning purposes. So, so you mentioned, I'm, I'm not sure you said that you believe this, but you entertain the possibility that it may happen in a third world context. If it was going to happen possession wise, I would feel like right. that pro- only because the example I see in the New Testament was typically sure. used to authenticate the power of the gospel and the authenticate the When they didn't the have the inscripturated word. Why do you think? Possibly. I why do you the, think it's more likely in a third world country? Well, because- we're going to get a little bit off topic. It comes down to cessationism where you believe like, for example, the, the gifts I believe were for a particular time, even healings, for example, they were healing during the apostolic time. I don't believe that that would continue on today because it had a unique purpose in showing the, the Gentiles at the time that the age was ending. I mean, the Jewish age was ending and the Gentile age was coming in and it was prophesied in Joel, like tongues are going to be spoken and people are, so it was prophesied to have taken place. And the, the classic uh, analogy uses like if you're hearing in the old Testament that, or you're going to have, you're going to make a right-hand turn, you put your blinker on and then the right-hand turn is made. You don't go on through eternity now driving with your right-hand blinker on. So Jesus has come back. What's that? Because the right-hand turn is Jesus returning. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
<laughs> all right, let's not get too far. So, uh, my only point is, okay. I, 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 and again, I'm not, I'm not dogmatic on. I believe, okay. it, like, I used to be more dogmatic. I don't understand. I your didn't answer. know he signed up so for this I don't discussion understand, today. I understand your explanation, but I don't understand how that answers why you think it just happened. Why oh, so, it's more so like the third world. because that would be probably an area where the message potentially might need to be more authenticated to okay. to unbelievers that aren't familiar with the gospel. In our okay. world today, everybody has a loose idea of what Christianity is, and in, in our in our okay. typical culture. So I understand your thinking there. I don't think I agree with it, okay. but I understand your thinking there with the third one. That, that was what I wasn't understanding. Both of us that say makes yes. More sense. It's just, I think it looks different perhaps. Uh, I the, think it looks very similar. Outworking. I think it looks very similar to me with yeah. how you guys no, both said yes. Demo- yeah. we, we're, um, Let's jump to this. Time, Let's yeah. jump to this. Are you burning with something you want to say right now um, in response? So I, I see it across all cultures, all time, all space. I don't see to, Rick was talking about kind of, the way that he sees cessationism playing out and why, and I, I, we're on the same page eschatologically, but I see where scripture never makes any indication that, it, that this type of activity or even the gifts, in my opinion, ceased um, the sign gifts. And so mm-hmm. I, I would be very cautious with them. I th- they have to be biblically framed in and exercised and including demonic activity needs to be biblically understood. But I, th- I see it as very pervasive. Everyone here knows, anybody listening probably knows, I'm a huge fan of the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Our staff mm-hmm. is going through that right now. And so, so I would good. I would see demonic activity. I wouldn't see it as just in third world countries. I would lend... What anyway, I, let's clarify there. activity though, because I, I didn't get. Yeah, to talk that's about what that. I. That's because right, I'm hold talking on. about specifically demonic possessions where the demon had okay, to be cast on out of the person. Because I believe people can be influenced actually by demons. So what I just want to say really quick is I think people can be possessed, and I think it's it's very pervasive and widespread. Let me host for a second, okay? Because okay? <laughs> you guys are going to confuse people. Sorry. Okay, just wait. Awesome. Okay, it is a bad word, so don't use it because you use it in the beginning. You're saying I look at it, it? like this. I think it can happen like this. Talk okay. about more specifically what we're talking about. I do want to talk mm, about demon helpful, possession. Helpful. I want to talk about demon possession from all three of you and hear what you all say specifically about demon possession. Right exactly. Now. So so what are you talking about? What do you mean by it, Aaron? Okay. What do you think it happens across all, you know, so whatever? Broadly, right. it was demonic activity, okay. specifically possession. So I would say both. I think there's there's widespread pervasive demonic activity. But not just in the ways that you would, not just the Dungeons and Dragons and tarot cards and, and Ouija boards. That That is part of it. Witchcraft is part of it. But I would see it like in that screw tape letter style of demonic activity distracts, tempts. Like Thomas yeah. Brooks, who was a Puritan, wrote way, this. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, wrote this, <laughs> wrote this thing where he said, um, he wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. I don't know if you've read good. that. It's, it's good. Yeah. Um, and he talks about that the the primary way that it's not, it's not just Satan. Everybody's like, oh, I, I battled Satan. Satan's not omnipresent. And so, but there's demonic, there's hordes of demonic forces. And so sure. they, they typically work both toward believers and unbelievers in tempting us uh, and, and tempting us towards sexual sin, marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. Um, Watson lays out, according to mm. 2 Corinthians 6, um, false religion, false teaching, false Jesus. I would see a lot, if I'm honest, I would see and you can call me crazy if you want, a lot of false teachers today as not just biblically oppressed or influenced, but as even possessed potentially. No, their head's not spinning around and they're not spitting out pea soup and walking down the stairs backwards, but they are filled 
with a an unclean demonic spirit, seemingly. Um, the arguments were made that people like Hitler or Mussolini were filled, were, were possessed to do the things they were. And so I don't think it always has to exhibit itself like the Emily Rose, mm-hmm. seven sure. demons speaking in different voices, speaking in different languages. It, that can be, sure. I think like we all demoniac. agree there that it doesn't have to present like that. But what I'm saying is I think I think because to Adam's point, it's so ordinary oftentimes. Mm-hmm. The, the greatest threat potentially to the church today is false gospels. And I believe in our context, in our culture, there's nothing that Satan would delight in any more than deceiving millions of professing Christians into believing that they have the truth that is not a biblical truth. That's a, that's a falsified truth. And so I think that I have a question on that. Yeah. And I really do want to hear what Adam and Rick think about demon possession, because because you guys answered the specific question of the general de- demonic activity, angels and demons. No, I didn't. Hold on. Okay. Okay, hold on. <laughs> I, I want to ask Aaron this real quick, because I think yeah. it's important. I think this is what people really want to know and hold on to, and all three of you can answer this. Is there biblical definitions or explanations of this, of what you're explaining? Because to me, the sure. Bible defines a lot about false teachers and warns against false teachers and and... Uh, wolf in sheep's clothing, and and it it really defines that. But it does not call them demons. It doesn't say they're possessed by demons. It doesn't make that connection. So, or does it? Let me quote First Timothy. I think okay. that's what you probably sure. from four one through two. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the holy faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Okay, it's, do you, so do you think that would be demonic possession? It, it could be in that okay. sense. What I was referring to earlier was the the typical demonic possession where it was used to like someone's coming in and yeah, the the exorcist type of demonic possession that seemed to sometimes happen there in Acts where, you know, Christ would come in and the whole town knew that someone was possessed by a demon. Right. They and they all would knew cast about them out it. into pigs who ran Correct. off. Correct. Yeah. That's the exact type. I, only demonic activity specifically that I was referring to that I lean towards ceasing. Other than that, I 100% agree with everything Aaron used as his it. Okay. I believe all demonic activities working that way in temptations and even in false teachers and in entertainment. So we're, we might all be on the same page on that. Yeah, definitely with entertainment. I mean, you think everything. about all, we were just talking about before we came on live that or on the podcast about just the rampant sexuality in our sure. culture. Well, you should talk about the policies. Not, I mean, like, right. if we're just going to be controversial, let's just be sure. controversial. Like, you should talk about all the policies that were very popular during this presidential cycle that are just demonic policies that, sure. that even Christians are just swallowing. Like, they're just buying it. Like, right. And, and it's hard not to imagine, yes, there's activity, there's demonic activity, there's oppression going on, there's temptation going on with, with sexuality and with um, so many of the argumentations that are being made. Um, but it's hard for me not to say that there's also from perhaps countless people that I don't want to be naive in it and and think that it's just demons kind of influencing when they could potentially be possessing yeah. false teachers, politicians, mm-hmm. whoever it might be, and orchestrating and influencing heavily from within. And I think that's the difference when you talk about biblically, yeah. there's definitely temptation and right. there's oppression from without, but there's also at times a habitation that takes place like the demoniac that, that like for false teachers that where th- that individual is not a demon themselves, but they're inhabited by demons and they're being influenced. And I think it could look very different, even though it's cross cultures, I think it could look very different in a third world country than in a first world country, because I think that I, I believe that demonic spirits are contextualist and they're mm-hmm. going, they're going to operate in context, cultural context differently, knowing what's going to evoke the most fear and unbelief sure. in that context. 
I like that. I like that. I have a question though, or just a thought. I don't know. The the idea with demonic activity coupled with the idea of false teaching, I'm wondering if that could be linked with the spirit of Antichrist, perhaps, that first John and chapter two talks about, because John will say there, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And so it seems that the Antichrist, who you could say, I think we could say is being used by the devil if we don't define him as the devil himself. That might be another podcast <laughs> or so. But it's it seems to be in First John uh, coupled with the idea of false teaching. And so I'm I'm very willing to go with the contextualization idea. But even in the contextualization idea, there's there's still teaching happening everywhere. Oh, absolutely. Right. Sure. And so. Perhaps false teaching is more of an element in demonic activity today than we have thought, perhaps. Especially, I think, especially when it is like we tend to think of demonic activity, I think, in the church as this radically pernicious and obvious evil. Obvious being the key word. Obvious, yeah. right? Instead of, could it just be sinister enough to dilute the gospel? Yeah. To, I mean, what does Paul say sure. about the about the Judaizers in Galatians? Like that's a damnable demonic heresy, mm-hmm. and it's just a slight perversion of the gospel. It's just it's Jesus plus works, right? And so this is a seemingly a very demonic anathema, something that that Paul stands vehemently against. I think it would be imprudent of us to relegate demonic activity to something that is, and I don't think any of us are saying this to something that is like an Emily Rose or, and by the way, and see, this is why as a historian, I know everybody here loves history as well, but I look back at since the apostolic era, just the, the like Ambrose and Augustine wrote about demonic activity a little bit, bits and pieces. And then as you continue on down through the ages, like you see, you see, well, Luther, Luther, Luther did quills at the wall. Luther was a little Uh, more, (laughs) There's a question about temperament and personality. See, see, with I knew Luther. you were going to do this though. As soon as demonic activity, he was he was imprudent, and he, you know, um, Luther no, was but, nuts. But I, and then I mean, you do look at at there are countless stories from hmm. trusted sources of. So Emily Rose was based on Annalise McKell. That the Exorcist of 1973 was based on a little boy from the 1950s that Jesuit priests dealt with for months. Why is it always a Catholic priest in these movies, though? They're the only ones willing to touch it a lot of times. Yeah. Like at least, where's, at least historically. Where are the reformers on this? Dead. No, I mean, I, I, it's, a Quiet, good, it's, a, yeah. it's a good question. I, sure. I think, if I'm honest, I think this is one of, eh, you know, I don't mind, I don't mind stirring the pot. I've always <laughs> contested that there's, there's, there were negatives that came out of the Protestant Reformation in that we went too far away from traditions of the church. So the, the Catholic church had elevated traditions to the place of sacred. And we, we took so many things in the church, Protestants did, and said, because it's been elevated to the place of worship and sacred, now we're going to avoid them completely. Yeah. And demonic activity and possession and, and exorcism is one of those things, I think, that Protestants have. So do you think you should be casting out demons? I think if somebody's possessed, yes. Okay. Okay. So an overarching, that, so that partially answers my question, but just a, a theme and a question. Yeah, we're going to get back into that. But why is this important? Why call all of this demonic activity? Is that important for just a Christian living their life? Obviously, these things like false teachers that we're talking about are very important, warning, huge warnings throughout the Bible sure. to, to actually, especially right now, 
uh, we're, we're dealing with a lot of things where you got to look closely at what people believe and what people are preaching and what people mm-hmm. are telling their followers. That's really important. Everybody knows that. I shouldn't say everybody knows that. Everybody understands that that's listening to this. But why call it demonic activity? Why is import, Why is it important to put that title? Because I guess that's my, that's like my eh, to it and call it, you know, I'm sure you, you, all of the feelings you're saying that people are too stiff basically nowadays, the, the reformers and the Protestants, but but why why call that demonic activity as opposed to just sinful activity, sinful man, temptations by demons? Sure, you know, of course. But why why does that have to be demonic activity? Why can't that just be a false teacher that we need to avoid or, you know, not listen to or check against what the Bible says? Like, why is it important to put that demonic tag on it? I'd love to go first. That's because that's my my overall point with this is from a practical standpoint, there isn't much concern. Right. I agree. At all. Zero. Because what I actually, the concern can go the other way. I do see people that try to, like we talked about earlier, hinted to people will blame things on demonic activity. When we or have like, it's verse inciting. after verse, our own flesh is enough. Ephesians 2, 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature's children of wrath. Then you have in Mark where it says, you know, what comes out of the person defiles him, the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder. So we have enough to worry right, about right. just with our own flesh. And I also believe that as a Christian, you're not going to be overcome by a demon if you're a true believer. So it doesn't mean that we don't concern ourselves with it, especially if it's false teachers, but it's really, I tend to agree with, with Peter there. What is, how does it change how we live? It shouldn't really right. change how we live as a Christian. Unless, except for Aaron, who's going to be casting them out, I guess. And see, that's where I would disagree that I don't think the casting out would be something that would continue more than likely today. Ooh, maybe we can talk about Harry Potter. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Yeah. We've already gone far. I don't have an issue. This with is Thunders awesome. Dragons, so by the way. Aaron's cursed on the podcast. <laughs> so, as well. yeah. so I, I want to say we should call it what it is. Demonic activity, not just, calls it that. not just habits of yeah. the flesh or I mean, sinful we'll tendencies, talk about it, sure. but there's enough in scripture to tell us that there are, that there are demons, that, yep. that there is a devil who is raging, uh, like a lion seeking to devour yeah, first Peter, um, right. First Peter Directly, five, eight. Yep. And so, so think about Harry Potter, right. When, uh, when Voldemort comes back. Uh, I, I they really think, are going demonic. Totally. <laughs> right. I mean, this is this totally in that, 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 that thing, but, but I think this image might harmonize. Well, for me, it does everything we're talking about. Maybe it will, but whenever he comes back, there are those that deny it. And there are those that live in light of it. And then at the end of one of the movies, I think it's, five. um, five, is that the Goblet of Fire? No, no, that's the Order of the Phoenix. There you go. Yeah. At, at the end of that, once, once everyone knows that he's back, Dumbledore has that wonderful phrase he he tells Harry when Harry basically says, what do we do now? And Dumbledore says, well, now we face a choice between what is right and what is easy. And so because of our sinful tendencies, knowing that there's a devil with demons, that we honestly don't need that much of a shove in the wrong direction to sin, I think engaging in spiritual warfare uh, against demonic activities, fighting for holiness, fighting for unity among the church, things like this. It so often to me looks like a choice between doing what is easy and doing what is right. I, so I don't, I'm you, confused. I guess yeah. probably Peter probably asked the same thing. 
how does that look any different than what we should be doing, whether there was demonic activity or not? So, And is it wrong for me not to call them demons as opposed to like false teachers? Well, I don't think the false teachers are demons. I think they're influenced by demons. But so a couple points I want to make. One, where, I'm, where I would disagree with Rick is we do have a lot to worry about with ourselves. Mm-hmm. But saying that we have one adversary who's attacking us, like take our nation, for example, mm-hmm. if, if Russia were to rise up and begin to attack, like that would be bad. We'd be focused on Russia. But if somebody came to us with the intel that China was now joining ranks with Russia to attack us, it would be naive and you could even argue dismissive and, and even evil to say, well, we have enough to focus on with Russia. Like if, there, if, there's a, if there's a real evil that exists that is partnering with our opponent, our adversary, if it's real, and especially in light of that, the second thing I want to mention is when scripture in 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be watchful, be vigilant because of your own flesh and, and your own corruption. No, that's not what it says. Be watchful, right. be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, is seeking, wandering about, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. And so to me... We do have the, the primary, I agree with Rick, the primary adversary of our soul is ourselves, is our soul, is our mm-hmm. sin, our flesh, whatever you want to say. But there is a an ally to that that plays on that temptation that seeks to destroy us, seeks to devour us, Peter says. Yeah. And I think I think it's naive. And, and, and personally, I think it's dismissive to just say, well, let's just focus on the false teaching itself. Well, the false teaching is birthed out of an antichrist spirit, uh, a demonic influence that that is that is very active in the world. That's one of the reasons that um, when when Lewis wrote the uh, screw tape letters, I think it's in the very beginning of the book, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. And I would say the church too. One is to disbelieve in their existence or act like they're irrelevant. And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. He says that in the very opening of the screw tape letters. And so I don't think a Christian should be like consumed in this, looking for no. a demon behind every bush, offloading their blame for their sin on yeah, that was my forces. Main concern. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I think I don't think we can afford to just go, ah, like we're it's no big we're, deal. We're too enlightened for this talk. Right. Like we're we're too no. intellectual to to go in this direction. I don't think we can do that either, especially when there's warnings in scripture that we don't re- wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and forces of darkness. Like that's that's there. It's you know, and and it's dismissive to say it's not. How would you differentiate by definition sin and temptation? with demonic activity, not possession, but just the, the activity of demons. Do you got any thoughts on this, Adam or Rick? Well, I, I think going back to what we said earlier, I think it can look very ordinary when, sorry, go ahead. But I guess what I'm saying like is, so the political agendas he's talking about that cause people to fall or to sin or sexual temptations, like he's saying that's born out of demonic activity. Where is the differentiation line or the reason for calling it, if you're not calling it demonic activity or it doesn't resonate or connect in your head as demonic activity, but as sin or temptation, if that's what the words I would use to, de- to call it that or name it that, define it by those definitions, what is the difference by calling them demonic activity mm-hmm. and how does that change it in the way we And think I think that's where it? I was trying to go with it. Let's be real with a practical example. Let's take a director, two directors. One of them, his fallen nature the lusts in his heart cause him to want to go and make a movie that's purely sexual. And now we watch that as, or not hopefully not watch it, but the world sees it and we can look at that and go, oh, whoa, that's, you know, that's bad. I got to watch my heart. Versus another director happened to have a demon influencing him to make that movie. 
Now you have the same people watching it. The Christian on the other side has the same warning, is the same the same call to be holy, to be righteous, to like the avoid conviction temptation. of the Holy Spirit. Correct. So that was yeah, my amen. point about it not mattering in the sense of how we go about living our lives. However, I would say it would matter in the sense of prayer. We yeah. should be praying okay. that demon act demonic activity is lessened so that there are less directors making those movies. And that to that end, I do believe we should be praying constantly and being vigilant, like we, we hear about in scripture, watching for that prowling devil and try to thwart it whenever we can. Okay. But how we practically live out our lives day to day, that that's where I was probably more going. Maybe. Okay, let's Maybe. see. I want to hear what mm-hmm. you have to say. So I think the reason why it should be important to call it what it is, first and foremost, is because I think the scripture does. But even hearing you, Peter, say that, you know, let's just call it sin and temptation. I mean, yes and amen, right? Then further questions have to come, like who's behind sin and temptation, right? And we, we would agree there. So I think it might be a case-by-case situation on what somebody means when they don't want to use the devil or demon's phraseology or words. I want to say, uh, or I feel like so often how that practically works out, not saying this is what you do, but those who avoid the language tend to be those who ignore the reality, eventually, practically speaking, yeah. of Satan and demons. And they don't, they, they just try not to live in a they realm where those it. things exist. Though they may give lip service to those things, practically it looks like well, I'm just going to avoid that. Not not saying that's what you do, but I fear oh, no. that that's what may happen. And I I have no issue talking about how I struggle with this conversation about demons. I would absolutely say it's the devil. And I guess that let's talk about that distinction. Hmm. What what is important about separating just saying like the devil is behind that temptation or the devil is behind this as opposed to saying demons. There's more demons. Correct. I agree <laughs> with Satan's you. Not, we I agree with you, present, but is that so. important? And I know you've talked, it kind of sounds like you guys think it's important based on what you're saying. Yeah. I don't. And I struggle with, that's what I'm saying. These are my struggles. I absolutely think, I think and talk devil all the time. Like there's never a lack of, of the devil being behind this, Yeah. but I don't usually talk about demons or think about individual separate demons. It's usually just like the connection in my head. And I'm just telling you how I practically work through it would be the devil. Like when I think of demons, I think of Emily Rose or whatever, yeah, you know, being yeah. possessed I mean, by Job a demon. Job didn't head seem spin. aware of Satan behind um, it. It certainly didn't seem that Ananias and Sapphira, you know, when they came, if you remember Acts 5, and they come before yeah. Peter. And what does Peter say to them? He doesn't say to them, why are your hearts so wicked and deceitful that you <laughs> held back part of this? He says to them, why has Satan filled your heart to lie against the Holy Ghost? I think it's in verse three and four. And, and, and granted, I think the argument can be made that he's not talking about the actual devil or Satan. Maybe he is, but we know that, that Satan is not omnipresent. But that Satan or Diabolos, I think that's the Greek rendering there. It means deceiver or slanderer. And so by that definition, when you see discord in the church and slander in the church, you know that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. You know it's the work of, I don't want to digress, but to Rick's point, I think anybody who is not doing the work of God is being influenced. Hmm. By the work of evil. So there's by, no neutrality. There's no neutrality. Right. I don't believe there's any neutrality. No. I think no. I think it's either the works of light or the works of darkness, the principalities yeah. and powers or the power of the Holy Spirit. Like it's what there's an influence over our life that we're not savvy to oftentimes, but that's always going on. And so for Ananias and Sapphira, while they might not have been aware of it, they were being not only influenced, but 
according to Peter, filled with at least satanic, demonic activity to lie to the Holy Spirit there and keep back a portion, which seems very harmless. That's there's no head spinning around in Acts chapter five. There's right. there's no there's no none of this Emily Rose stuff going on. But there's certainly, from what Peter's saying, something very sinister and diabolical that's happening that is the work of Ananias and Sapphira couldn't have said, well, you know what? Darn that Satan. Like he he got us this time, but it was still their fault. Like they were still yes. culpable there. Which I think and, Rick, Rick's, but we Rick's have, points we, were helpful. In that case, you have a prophetic that. word declaring what took place behind the scenes, just like we do in the case of Job. But on a day-to-day basis, the flesh could act out of its own accord in much similar can ways, sinful evil, ways. Can act evil, but is that demonic activity? It I could guess. be or it could My, my point is we don't exactly know. Question, we we don't have prophetic people like saying, saying, hey, a demon caused you to do this or influenced you. It sounds like he's saying that's demonic activity. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. So if I... If you lost, want to is be that greedy and I demon? lie and I lie about something to to basically be greedy and so get yes. money, is that demonic activity? <laughs> that's just my question to you because it sounds like you're saying yes, that's demonic activity. Okay, so to Rick's point, I, I didn't hear that. You might have to repeat that, Peter. But no, to Rick's point, just we would never, ever, ever be able, even for somebody possessed, I don't think they can accurately blame their sin on the demonic spirit. It, like, let's say that there's possession, and so there's it's more than just an outer influence. It's now a um, they're being directed internally on how to act, but they have given the scripture would use words like they've given ground to that demonic possession. They've opened themselves. Of up. They've made provision for the sure. flesh. Yes. And things I, like that, that are very supernatural, very subjective. Well, they kind of yeah. make us uncomfortable because they're not yeah. as clear and logical and objective in front of us. But yet that's so much of, of like we deal with the Holy spirit. Like that's, that's a subjective Yes, he's he's objective. He's he's true and he's legitimate. But how he moves and how he works, Jesus yeah. compares to the wind in John. So the works 3. of the flesh, those are always influenced by an actual physical demon. I guess what's what sounded like you were alluding to. I, I would lean that direction that there's no neutrality. That like you, so you look at First John five eighteen through twenty one. Idolatry is a work of darkness. It's a work of demonic activity. Um, well, does it say demonic activity work of darkness? Because our hearts are dark and their flesh is dark. I so sometimes have, the I don't, I don't have the verse. Yeah, I don't have either. it right in front of me. But, but these are ones I wrote down. Like bitterness is is influenced by the spirit world by demonic activity. Um, that's in Ephesians four seventeen through five two. Um, foolishness and drunkenness. Don't be filled with with drunkenness, but we feel. Oh yeah, spirit. I agree with that. Ephesians chapter five. Yeah, I know you do. Uh, eight through twenty one. That's only drunkenness, though. <laughs> um, and uh, lies. John chapter eight, verse forty four, and obviously Acts chapter five. So these these things. There's there's a there's a once again, our our own self is very much so a contaminant here and to blame, but the the works of darkness play on that, bring temptation to lure us away. Um, and I think I think both need to be addressed. Like Can you, you agree with this? You feel the same way. So Rick's question. Are you crazy too? Rick's Rick's question is a hard one. Personally, I think is every sin and temptation the work of demons, or is it the work of the flesh? And I want to say, why separate the two? Yeah. And so I think I'm with I'm Aaron. Saying that that doesn't you don't know, so you right, agree with like, right, but just because right. you don't be, know, Aaron seems to be alluding to that. It is. It is. And that right. has to be juxtaposed against Mark 7, 21 from within, out of the heart of man. It doesn't say anything about demonic activity. Come, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, immorality theft, murder, adultery. So that's right. talking about the heart itself 
is able to produce these wicked acts without without help. Now, certainly there's plenty of cases where demonic activity does come into play to tempt those people to live that out. And, and, and it could even be actually indwelling potentially in somebody. I don't believe in a believer it does, but... I, I mean, think the, the temptation no, is to a believer, but not indwelling in okay. the person demonic demons. But anyway. I think yeah. the no neutrality thing is helpful because even in that example that you just said, what jersey are you wearing, right? If you're not wearing the jersey of Christ, one. right? You're Definitely on the devil's team. Leader. Who's coaching the team? Yeah. Is that you or him? Yeah. Why? Why separate the two, right? So we uh we probably don't know that answer but i i i wouldn't want to be one to make too far of a separation between so, the two i don't know if this is going to be helpful or not but it seems like there's a judged position in scripture between the works of the flesh which come from within i agree with mark 7 they come from within but there there's mm. an influence and a temptation from the principalities and powers sure. and the the judged position there is that when we work out our own salvation when and when we pursue holiness and sanctification like that, that takes a mortification of the flesh on our part. Like we, we have to do that. And yet we realize we're only doing that as the Holy Spirit is wooing us along, carrying us along, being filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. And so there's a supernatural element, obviously, within all of Christianity, of but there's a, there's a subjective element there to my faithfulness and my pursuing of Jesus and my perseverance, even though I am very much responsible for pursuing Jesus. I can't just sit back and be like, well, if he wants me to pursue him, I'll pursue Mm -hmm. him. The Holy Spirit's bringing me along, but I'm also plotting away. I think it's the same conversely with when it comes to sin, it's it's, it's my fault. I'm culpable when I sin, but I certainly see a, a spiritual world that exists that is very powerful and very chaotic where we're being lured and enticed, not just by ourselves. We are being lured and enticed by ourselves, but also by principalities and powers sure. existing within this world. I think we saw it on, we've seen it on display in 2020. Yep. There's either been the strengthening of faith or the dissolving of faith taking place. There's For no sure. neutrality there. Like The muddled middle has disappeared. It has. Yeah. It's, it's gone. And mm-hmm. so to me, that's, that's what I mean. Now, I agree with Rick that Christians can't be possessed by demons because sure. they're, they're actually possessed. We're the possession There's no of vacancies in that heart. Yes, yes. And so, <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean the demon can't be influenced or sure. tempted well, or I coerced. Agree. Okay. Right. I think we've beat this to death. Well, I, have, I have a couple questions. I have a couple questions I want to ask that I think will have interesting answers. Hmm. Um, the first being, do you feel like you've ever encountered a demon or demonic activity specifically personally yourself? Well, let's finish with Aaron. Adam or Rick, do you have any? The answer to me would be no, besides the, so let me back up. A really good example of the demonic activity we're talking about is screw tape letters, open my eyes to more normal and natural demonic activity, like we talked about, and how these demons can think and talk and use us and trick us and turn our eyes away from Jesus, basically. But so now we want to talk about, do you ever feel like you've experienced more than that? Uh, I I can start. Uh, So, so in my pastoral experience, there's, there's been one conversation with a stranger that I've had where I felt like that, that, that actually might've been very tangible. Uh, at least that's how I felt in the conversation. And I mean, I, I don't trust my feelings very much, but that's how I felt talking with us. Seemed like a homeless woman who came in the door that had all sorts of, all kinds of unhealthy false teachings swirling around in her head asking for a platform at our church to share it. Hmm. And every time I would 
look her in the eye and try to redirect the conversation to her need for the gospel and for the truth, the look in her face, it wasn't so much like contorted, but there was like, there was an amplification of a lot of inner angst that was being very visible. And so much so that I grew very uncomfortable in the midst of this conversation and had the thought, I wonder if there's more going on than just this woman. I mean, it probably at the time, thinking back, I probably thought more of something like, she doesn't seem to be driving the car. Who is driving the car? Okay. And can I just interject there? Would you agree, any of you guys, that demonic activity as we would typically associate it with like an Emily Rose, like we've talked about, and Annalise McKell, that if somebody exhibits that type of stuff in our context, we either think they're deranged. Yes. Mental, mental, yeah. we, we check into an asylum. Yeah. So, something like this. So, and that could be the case, but also it could be demonic activity yeah, that why, we just kind of, separate those? we kind of dope up. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I've been guilty of that as well. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think that this uh, individual I was meeting with fell square into one of those categories, but I think, yeah, why, why separate that? I mean, that, that, that might be how the demonic influence was uh, becoming, you know, very potent in her person. The more we talked, the more uncomfortable it became till the moment where she could no longer look me in the eye uh, when I was talking about Jesus and the gospel. And she just got up and walked out of the building. And I went straight to my assistant's office and I was like, that was the weirdest conversation I've ever had. We need to pray. Yeah. And it was, it was like one of those moments where I, I don't know if it's just me or if it was actual truth, but like, I mean, one of those like, you know, hairs on the back of your neck stand mm -hmm. up type, type things. See, I don't want to like belabor this. I want Rick to be able to share if he's had any, but like when you study Mark 5 with the demoniac at Gadara and you study Luke chapter 9, mm. it's clear that like there, there's a not everyone who has has a mental illness is demonically possessed or anything. Right, right. But that Helpful. can certainly, that can certainly, demonic activity within mm. oppression, possession can lead toward mental illness biblically, according, according to the Gospels anyway. So I think that that's something that needs to be recognized um, as we talk through this. All right, Rick. I, I tend to feel like I see demonic activity when I'm, just driving down the street here and I'm seeing especially on 19 when I'm seeing some of the liberal churches the banners they have outside their churches and oh, we're getting the specifics of yeah. them but in the false teachers on TV if, like mm -hmm. I can't stay on the Christian network channel whatever that CBN or whatever yeah. it's mm -hmm. called I gotta switch it off yep I feel it's like demonic that's where Satan's using faulty now in regard to a classic kind yeah. of possession yeah. type I'd say only once my wife and I might have had an experience with someone we know that was close to us you know, then mental illness got diagnosed within it. So mm -hmm. it's hard to know with a mental illness with this. So, but there was just one particular case where we, we've, we've seen something that my wife felt even more strongly about that. There was something's off, like almost like she felt mm -hmm. a demonic presence about the situation. I didn't feel it as strongly as she did. All right, Aaron, let's hear about yours. Yeah. I mean, uh, for me, like there's been, I, I think the more open you are to it, the more you're going to see it. Now you can become like we talked about too open and you right. see it everywhere <laughs> yeah. and, and everything becomes like, but I mean, I think, I think it's once again, as somebody who believes it's very pervasive, I see it all the time um, coupled with people's activity. And so, you know, I'll go to, I've seen a lot in third world countries on mission trips. Uh, Adam said he really hasn't seen it, but like um, we went to Zambia, we were over there for a month. There were people you would meet who were clearly something was wrong. Something was deranged, but there was one in particular I was preaching at pastor's conference 
And um, before I went up to preach in front of all these pastors, they led me into the back room. So a bunch of pastors are out in the auditorium seated, but there's this back room and there was probably a dozen or 15 pastors around the circle and they were all, all praying in Nanja, which was the language there in Zambia. Hmm. And they kind of ushered me to the front to pray. And as I come to the front, there's a, a woman who's presumably in her 40s or 50s, head shaved, just uh, close cropped gray hair, um, down on her knees in the floor, weaving back and forth and growling, gutturally growling there. And when she would look up, I mean, it was kind of what you would expect, uh, bloodshot eyes. And when I would, I began to pray, they were like, you need to pray. And so I would, I began to pray with all of them. And in English, whenever I would mention the name Jesus, which is very recognizable to a lot of people, but here we are. I mean, we're in a very rural part of Zambia. I mean, they don't know English. And whenever I even mentioned the name of Jesus, this this woman would look up and she would continue to growl. And so, and there was a thickness. If somebody's ever sure. dealt with something like this, like once again, I know it's very subjective, very experiential, but there was a sure. thickness in the air, an oppression that was in the air that was palpable, that that you could feel. And so it's it was very hard for me. It's easy if I had not experienced that to hear that story and be like, oh, it was just... It was just a, a, you know, a placebo effect. Like you're just convinced yourself. Or but, yeah, yeah. But when you actually come face yeah. to face with this, this evil seemingly, and you feel that there's a heaviness that exists there. A lot of people don't know, but when Danielle and I dated, she claimed to be a Christian, but she wasn't actually a Christian. And we encountered a lot of what I would look back now and say was demonic attack during that time, presumably to keep her away potentially from the gospel. I'm not sure, but uh, she would have night terrors. She had times where she was pinned down to the bed, would go deaf in one ear, would hear demonic voices in the other ear. I know it sounds far-fetched and fanciful to people. We've had missionaries that we've supported, and I've heard from pastors in foreign countries that have had the same type of thing where they were paralyzed for an hour and they were just praying and crying out to the Lord. When Daniel and I were recently married, about three months into marriage, we had an entity appear in our room in the middle of the night. Um, and we both, we, it's weird. Our dogs went crazy. There's a lot of talk around dogs being able to sense this type of activity. Um, but we both saw a shot, saw a person in our room in the middle of the night. Uh, we saw a flash bulb go off. We both saw this. We, I mean, and neither one of us are touchy-feely, subjective people. Yeah. We both saw it in, in the middle of the night. It was 3 a.m. Um, we saw the shadow back up. We saw the shadow crouch around by our closet. So, I mean, we turn on light and nothing's there. So it's bizarre. It's Tell Spurgeon weird. that story. Yeah, no, we never sleep at night. No, no, you no. know what's even better than that? It's the year's 2013. <laughs> I just moved back to Clearwater with my wife and infant, and we decided to try out a new church. We hear it's a cool church. You know, it's small. <laughs> we go to that church and it was like a hundred people, you know, not a big church. And the pastor used to go to lunch with all the new people that would come. So we go to lunch with the pastor of that church. And he decides to tell us this demonic story about him and his wife. The very first time we meet with them and hang out with them at lunch. And, and you chose to stay. And, we, and hey. that's how you know God, God's in control, man. Somehow we're still here <laughs> seven so years my, later. My, so, so my whole point is it's very easy. It's very easy for somebody listening or watching. It's very easy for us in this room to deny all this yeah. stuff because we don't have a frame of reference for how the supernatural works and mm -hmm. functions and how it exists. It's very easy to deny that until you actually encounter it and you mm -hmm. experience it. And I know you'll meet people, almost everybody has some type of paranormal experience, but those are ours. Now, and, and there's there's been a few other, I mean, your, your brother-in-law, Tim and I, dealt with a girl one night, I think Jeffrey was here at the church, where she came in for three and a half hours. This girl had worked, I don't want to divulge too much because I don't know who might know her, but right. th this girl... It was hearing voices was whenever we would pray, she would freak out and she would say, I hear them coming for me. I mean, like all the earmarks of somebody who is 
heavily oppressed or even possessed by demonic forces, claimed mm. to be the Virgin Mary. I mean, just, just very bizarre activity. And so there's been stuff like that. And there's been a few other instances, lots of people I respect to have had encounters like this. But kind of to Rick's point, and this is where I'll, I'll button it up, I can look back at my own life and following Jesus, and it's easy in hindsight. I think demons are very cunning. I mean, Satan is far wiser than we are. Mm-hmm. And so we're not aware of it as much when we're right. going on. It's a blind spot to us. But I look back, and you guys all were there for this period of my life in 2017. It was the darkest year of my life. Evie goes through open-heart surgery and lots of suffering, lots of pain. And coming out of 2017, I really began to question in bitterness, if I'm honest, the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the kindness of God to us and that I would never treat my children like this. And and now looking back, I see it was a condition of my heart. Like it was it was a bitterness in my heart that took root. But when we talk about um, what was the passage, I mean, Ephesians chapter four and, and beginning of chapter five, where it talks about this bitterness welling up inside of us and us giving ground to to Satan or to demonic activity. I look back and, and the the trail that led me down kind of into a very dark place in 2018 my fault. I'm culpable. There's no excuse for it. Sin began to infiltrate my life, especially in the realm of bitterness and anger. Uh, it's hard for me to sit back and go that there wasn't, especially as a pastor and as a Christian, as somebody with influence, that there wasn't demonic activity behind that, tempting and luring and, and mm-hmm. seducing and carrying me along. along. And, and so for me, it took a lot of prayer from thankfully a lot of, of close friends, a lot of prayer, um, a lot of accountability, and not just, not just a, hey, Aaron, you need to repent, which I did, but also a prayer for the oppression that was there. I mean, at times, if you've been there, if you're a believer and you've been there, it almost feels like, man, I can't pull myself out of this. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't pull myself out of this darkness. It's so oppressive and so thick. And so there does need to be, I think, a recognition of that. And that's just one of the times in my own life where I look at it and go, it's not in the way that you would expect. Demons are very sneaky. Um, Demons are once again, very prevalent and uh, and very, very wise uh, as to how to influence and, and how to seduce. Um, and, and they play into, they, they don't, they don't convince us to do something against our will. They play into that. Right. Like they tempt us with, with what we're already naturally inclined to. Paul says he schemes, the devil schemes, you know, put Absolutely. on armor God against the, protect yourself from the schemes of the devil. So it's like, like you said, it's. A as plan. a, yeah. as just kind of a wrap, I think that people like myself that don't think about this a lot, right? This is not something that's in the forefront of my mind is demonic activity. I think what's important to take out of this discussion is the recognition of them and the spiritual realm and the call to pray, to fight in the spiritual battle and to recognize when this is happening to you and to be able to talk to somebody about it. And, you know, just, just realizing that it's not just the devil, but also demons and to understand that portion of it. But like Rick is talking about, like the condition of our heart is something we still need to battle, whether or not we think yeah. or agree mm-hmm. with yeah. the discussion today that it's all demonic activity or not. You know, it doesn't change whether or not we should fight against sinful nature that we have. Yeah, I, th- I think it's also important for anybody listening because this can freak people out. Yep. They can listen to it and then they can they can either go down a rabbit hole of exploration and begin mm-hmm. watching all kinds of stuff and reading all kinds of stuff and kind of I wanted tam- to ask that question. Tampering. I think I think there needs to be a I think that there's a natural curiosity that is not bad in and of itself, but I certainly think that that we need to be very cautious in our interactions with the forces of darkness that they are real. Um I think we also need to remember that Spurgeon said that Satan's a defeated foe. Mm. Um Boom. I, I have we we 
at least the three of us here have an eschatological framework that would say that Satan, while he is still roaming the earth seeking whom he may devour, he's doing so on a leash. Uh, he's, he's bound from deceiving the nations. And so whether somebody buys into that or not, what they do need to buy into is that Satan can do absolutely nothing. Demonic forces can do absolutely nothing to any believer or unbeliever's life without the permission of God himself. And so even you see that in Job, Job, uh, mm -hmm. the, the Satan has to come before God and be like, hey, can I go bother this guy? And so Christians need to be um, encouraged with that reality, and we need to lean into that. We need to we need to repent of giving ground to Satan, mm -hmm. to demonic forces, um, repent of sin. We need to, to submit to the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit and directed by the Holy Spirit. Um, and we need to realize that our remember that Satan is strong and he is powerful and he is wise. Demonic forces are strong and powerful and wise. Um, that they're involved in evil to what extent? Yeah, we could debate that all day, mm -hmm. but but they're no rival. They're stronger than us and they're wiser than us, but they're right. no rival to God. And that needs to be, I think, very clear because, you know, I'd grown up, I read these books, Piercing the Darkness and This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti, which were great, but it almost seemed like this rivalry going on at times. Yeah. They, they were great novels. They were fun to read, but there's no rivalry. It's not dualism. There, there's, yeah. you know, there, there's a battle going on, but the battle in, in the grandest scheme ultimately has already been won. Which I think thinking about demonic activity helps also because it, again, shows us our need for a savior. Like sometimes when we just look at this world... A million different ways we feel like we can battle it ourselves, especially if we're successful or we're happy where we're at right now. But when you do realize and recognize this other world, the yeah. spiritual realm of the devil and demons, we realize we can't defeat them on our own. I don't think we should fear. Would you agree God with that? Yes. No, I don't, I don't. I don't think we should live. In, I think we should. It, we should live in caution and, and right, awareness and, us too, yeah. right. and not be naive. But, but understanding think, we can only beat it with God. I mean, that's that's the way. I mean, that's if, if you're his, not a Christian, he's not going to pluck anybody out of his right, hand. But if you're not wants, a Christian, so, right. if you're not a Christian and these demonic activities are going on, you can't. You better be scared. Right. And, and you can't you can't beat it without God. I mean, that's the, the gospel is the answer. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it's just another way to two, recognize that. Yeah. That's what I would finish with. Colossians 2. He has disarmed principalities, powers, verse 13, 14. Publicly By making put a them public spectacle of them, yeah. triumphing over them in his death. So, exactly. So he has, he's triumphed. He's put them to shame. But then, you know, I think it's Paul who would go on to say, why do you want to have fellowship again with these unfruitful yeah. words of darkness? Like, yeah. why? So the Christian should fly from them. The non-Christian who's listening to this should repent and fly to Jesus yep. for salvation. Yep. Um, and so uh, that's where we leave it. Been good, guys. I enjoyed Indeed. it. It's good talk. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Rick. Thank Until you. next time. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about the show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.